Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viv section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility, which means you know it's the apex of quality. <laughs> <laughs> UFC fight night, Holm versus Silva. Sometimes, Zane, I wish I wasn't your co-host, as always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's for special I, cards like these. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I was dead. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes I wish you were dead too. <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we. Got, I guess we we had the glory of UFC 290, and it really was glorious. So, it was awesome. It was yeah. the card of the year, like no question. Uh, all the fights I didn't care about were over quickly and violently. Yep. Uh, everything was fascinating and awesome and exciting, and it was like a, a, a just a series of superhuman feats. Like it's exactly what I want out of a big fight card. Mm-hmm. The the most perfect of perfect fight cards. So now we at the Narcan, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We overdosed on quality fights. Yeah, as the addicts that we are. Well, um, medicine's weaned, supposed to. The problem is that we've been weaned back for yeah. years now on low quality. Yeah. And so now we're getting like the really good stuff, and yeah. th- this is the revival. This is the reviver. Yeah. Well, medicine's supposed to taste bad. Yeah. This is uh, our producer just noticed noted this, and. Uh, See, I'll do a quick run. So there are, there were. We got we lost Walt, Walt Harris versus Parisian, but for the sake of this, I'm going to include it in our in my count here. There are 14 fights on this card, and so, which means that there are 28 fighters. Uh, and I think like. 20 of them are coming off a loss. <laughs> 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, wow. 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, 16, 17. Uh, okay, 17 are coming off a loss. That just so, means it's a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people can strive to be better on this card. That's right. And we're going to watch it. We're going to watch the struggle to not suck. Yeah. 
Let's so, just get into it because I don't even know what else to say. Like I can't. There's this sort of like, what's a what's a shitty version of gilding the lily? <laughs> like dumping on this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. What can you even say like it is self evidently terrible? It it is. It's dreadful. <laughs> so let's just start talking about the fights because what better uh, what what better way to prove how bad the fights are than by telling the people about them? Yeah. So let, let's go ahead and jump in. Our main event, another Holly Holm main event. Holly Holm, Myra Buena Silva. And um, this is kind of like Myra Buena Silva is really not ever in bad fights, usually. No, but Holly Holm is very rarely in good fights. Yeah, so this feels like really the worst way to have a Myra to have Myra Buena Silva go like get a big platform is a fight that will almost certainly be the least fun Myra Buena Silva fight. Yeah. Ever. Yep. I mean, um, Holly Holm has uh, she is exciting against one kind of fighter, uh, which is like. Uh, either, <laughs> what's that? People that can beat her. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. <laughs> people that can beat. Well, she was also exciting against Ronda Rousey. Yeah, but that was seven, eight years ago. Yeah, a very long time ago. Um, and, and it's basically it's people who, um, are either good at striking, or insistent on striking, and can sort of yeah. you know walk her down and. This is the only circumstance in which Holly Holm can deliver a power shot of any kind is if somebody runs straight into her hands. Um, and more often than not, I don't think she even wants to do that anymore. I think she knows that she's gotten much slower and more hittable and doesn't, you know, she's, she's taken enough punishment in her career. God knows. Go back and watch that fight she had that... Uh, I can't even remember the woman's name, but that, you know, <clears throat> Mike Winklejohn refused to stop even though Holly Holm was being like blood sacrificed before his eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what, the boxing what ring, yeah. Yeah, I'll find it. It was, uh, was it Aunt Sophie Mathis? I it, I believe it was. No, no, it was not Aunt no. Sophie Mathis. It was, um, it was a less prominent boxer. Because um, I don't see any other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to go way back to like yeah. Rita Teresi to find another loss on her record. I I think it is the Teresa one, maybe. Uh, Teresi back in like two thousand four. Yeah, maybe TKO'd. So yeah, she got TKO'd for about thirty minutes straight. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway, she's not gonna do that anymore. She didn't like it. You know, she took her a while to figure it out. And so now she is, um, you know, if we make the uh, tired old comparison between women's bantamweight and men's heavyweight, she's Andre Arlovsky. Yeah. She just she just wants to hold people against the fence. She wants to out-wrestle them. She's not a particularly good wrestler. Like, in terms of quality of takedowns, I mean, credit to her, she isn't going for head and arm throws all the time. Yeah. But... It's not like she's a very natural wrestler. No, uh, she's. Uh, I think it's just all the muscle. Like she's so stiff. 
yeah, she is very stiff, and but she's big and strong, and she pushes people against the cage, and sometimes drags them down, and then does very very little while in top position. Sometimes to the extent that you're like, did she even win that round? Because yeah. the other person was like elbowing her the whole time, and she didn't do anything. Um, that's how she fights now. Mm-hmm. And so the question is: Is she big and strong enough? to do that and does Myra Buena Silva have enough re- residual respect for her left over as a lot of women still seem to to kind of be more cautious than usual and um, I'm depressed so I'm just going to pick Holly Holm <laughs> yeah <laughs> because Silva yeah Silva's a scrappy uh, often very you know not very but often pretty fun fighter Mm-hmm. But um, she has exactly the kind of like piecemeal, stiff striking that where she's going to eat like one left hand from Holly Holm and not like it. Or it's just going to drive forward right into Holly Holm's open arms and get grabbed onto. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing with with Silva is really that she she hits hard. She's not a bad athlete. She's pretty strong. Yeah. But uh, she strikes like somebody who has, uh, who knows they should, (laughs) you know, like the, she's got this weird hunch and then she just kind of leans into people and throws a couple wild hooks at them. Yeah. And the end result is almost always a clinch. Because what she really is, you know, like a lot of MMA fighters who don't really like to strike at all, what she, where she's really comfortable striking and being, having a, a more natural creative game is when she has a hand on somebody and can judge distance. So the moment she gets to the clinch, then she goes for that collar tie and she starts throwing really hard knees and she starts looking for uppercuts and elbows yeah. And everything just kind of clicks into place when she's already got to the clinch. But she's not a good defensive wrestler at all. And instead makes up for that by being a really good grappler. And it's just, you know, it's one of those, we're going to crash, it'll go to the mat somehow, and then I will start working my game from there. Kind of styles of fighting. And that is pretty universally not how you win fights at a high level even brian ortega who started with a lot of that kind of game has found himself having to reinvent and become a much better boxer so that he could compete at a very high level Mm -hmm. because those points where he's going to get uh an actual where he's going to get somebody to the ground on his terms are so rare Right. That you can't you can't bank on winning a whole fight off of one guillotine on Alexander Volkanovsky, you know. It was a triangle too, Zane. A triangle, yeah, a triangle too. But you know you can't. Your top level fighters are very good at not getting submitted, and yeah, say what you will about Holly Holm and her lack of activity as a top, for a top game, but. Misha Tate is the only person that's ever submitted her. Mm-hmm. And maybe 
Silva could be number two. But I wouldn't bank on it. Tate herself is a good wrestler and a good a, a, a grappler who takes good positions. Silva is a start from scratch and just yeah. kind of roll through it grappler. It was also a pretty unusually brilliant sequence to even get to that submission from Misha Tate. I mean, yeah. That's why it was such an amazing shock at the time. Like the takedown to the back to the instant chokeout was really, really smooth, even smoother than Tate's usual grappling. So she found some magic. And I think that's what you got to do because otherwise Holly Holm is just solid enough on the ground. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah, she's just, she doesn't. She rarely gets put in bad positions. Yep. She is always a good... She takes strong positions, and she knows how to lock them down. And, yeah, I mean, Silva hits hard. She has, you know, the ability... She can pro- She might win some... She might win these rounds based on doing more damage. But we've seen her in fights against people like Marina Moroz and Manon Firo, who are strong and capable of locking down positions and or capable of keeping Silva from being a physical force mm-hmm. and they beat her and we we actually don't ever see on Silva's record depend, despite the fact that she's a pretty hard puncher and a good clinch fighter she's never actually knocked anyone out mm-hmm. she has one TKO via retirement from 2016 at the end of the first round and everything else has been her submission ability, which are knee bar, arm bar, arm bar, arm bar, mm-hmm. you know, like they're all from bad positions. So it really does feel like the kind of fight that is made for Holly Holm to even, you know, at 41, having lost a step and being safer than ever, this feels like the safe fight. Yep. <sighs> that's, your, that's your main event yeah Silva opened at plus 126 and cl- is currently at plus 147 Holm opened at minus 161 is currently at minus 165 that brings us to a middleweight bout Albert Durayev Junyong Park and oh, hey. At least we got the Iron Turtle. At least we got the Iron Turtle. You know we love some Jun Young Park. Um, but man, is he just not getting any ability to step up at all? No. You know, he lost to Anthony Hernandez. Went on a three-fight win streak. Lost to Gregory Rodriguez. He's on another three-fight win streak, and. But it's been like he he beat Eric Anders and then got Joseph Holmes, Dennis Tialulin, yeah, and now Albert Durayev. Like it's just eddying at the bottom 30 percent of the division. Yep. And uh, I don't like I don't like it, man. I don't really get it. I don't get it either. Like I think Junior Jingo Park is a routinely fun fighter, like very mm-hmm. well rounded, down to scrap with everybody. You think you would want him like testing your prospects and uh 
and and gritting it out with uh, with other like ranked fighters. Yeah, uh, like he, he's thirty two. He's been around a while. His losses, Anthony Hernandez and Gregory Rodriguez, are both really good, fun, capable fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, like why not have him up fighting somebody like uh, Roman Delizzi? You know. Yeah. Or, you know, other other fights like that. It, even he, you know, I mean. Have him fight uh, Chris Curtis, you know. Like, sure, uh, Chris Curtis. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I would necessarily want this for uh, Edmund Shabazian, but, you, you know, bookings like that. Exactly, yeah. People that fans kind of know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no knock on Dennis Tululin, but I don't think the fans care. No, and they don't care about Albert Durayev either. Yeah. Um, Durayev, he did, I will say, he looked better against Chidian Jakuani. Uh, I think his his striking game is getting a little better, and he was a much more determined wrestler than he was against, uh, like, Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like he was a lot more constant and consistent about getting in on Njikawani's hips and chaining his takedowns and all that. Um, it might make him pretty tough for Jen Young Park to beat. I won't lie. Mm-hmm. Park has... We love Park because his physical ceiling is very limited. He's five foot ten. He is a very good ground and pound artist when he can get on top of people. And he's a very fun, scrappy pocket boxer when he can keep things standing. Um, but he's not a big hitter. And he doesn't avoid anybody. There's mm-hmm. no real safety in his game. He went absolutely nip-tuck with Eric Anders and Tefan and Chukwi. Gave up takedowns to both of them. Um, you know, it's, there's not, there aren't going to be many easy fights in the UFC for Jun Young Park, excepting maybe like Joseph Holmes, even the T. Lulin fight was, even the know. Joseph Holmes fight was not super yeah. easy because Holmes he, is huge. Yeah. He, even those fights where he got finishes and got to, could, could show off his grappling dominance. It took a while. It took some, mm-hmm. some tribulation to get there. Uh, I'm gonna pick Durayev, and I hate to do it, but I just get the feeling that too much of Jung Young Park's offense runs through his ground game, and I don't think he can stand. I don't think he can strand Durayev standing. I I think he might do more damage, but I think he's gonna give up too many opportunities to be taken down. How often does Jin Young Park get taken down? Uh, let me just see. I got my stats right here. Yeah. He has 70% takedown defense. So not great. Yet taken down three times by Eric Anders, two times by Gregory Rodriguez, one time by Tefan Chukwi, six times by Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, well, Anthony Hernandez, at least. I'll give him a pass on that. That's that's going to happen. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I see where you're coming from. I'm not even saying I disagree. I, I mean, I want Jenny Park to win. I, oh, of course. Of and course. I think if he if he can stop from getting t- held down, maybe that'll be the key. I, I mean, I hard, think that's he's a yeah. hard fighter to hold down. Yeah. Um, so if he can stop from getting held down. Then yeah, uh, there's nothing to say that he won't. I mean, he'll absolutely do the better the better work on the feet. I feel like. Yeah. Um. <sighs> yeah, I I mean I don't know. It is a bad sign that like yeah to, to get taken down by Eric Anders like it it is it's the physical thing too. Yeah. That like I don't think Duraev is the kind of hoss that Eric Anders is. No, but he's much more technical a, a wrestler. Yeah, and then you get like a much clumsier hoss like Tefan Chukwi, and and these are guys that Jun Young Park can ultimately like they might get him down, but he worked in Chukwi on the ground. Yeah. Um. But I there there obviously is a physical ceiling there. Uh, almost more than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That like just tying up with big strong guys, and Duryev is big he's and not strong. Actually, and... that big, but he is strong, and he's just no. He's bigger. strong enough and technical enough, isn't he? Yeah, he he can make up for whatever gap is between him and a guy like Anders. Um, by actually being a strong riding control wrestler, who will like, you know, you you would look at the first takedown in his fight with uh with Chidi. And be like, oh, Chidi's going to get back to his feet uh, very quickly. And it just didn't happen. Yeah. He, you know, stayed on his wrist and he dragged him back down, mat return kind of thing. And then just like annoyingly hung on him. <laughs> yeah, I guess I agree. Um, I'm curious, at least. Like, I always like seeing Jin Young Park grapple and to yeah. see him against somebody who that is almost certainly going to be their main mode of offense. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of sweeps he can find. Mm-hmm. But probably this is one of those fights where he's also going to get tired out. Yeah. By just having Duryev all over him all the time. And Duryev has the energy to do that for as long as he needs to. And uh, I have seen Jin Young Park gas a little bit in previous fights, and it probably is usually the grappling that leads to that. Yeah. So, all right. I hate it. I hate but, it, too. Uh, yep. Uh, Durai opened at plus 108. He's currently at plus 131. Park opened at minus 139. He's currently at minus 146. I mean... Getting some love from the betters. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not unhappy about it, but I, you know... I feel like there's reason to have caution here. Durayev seems like a uniquely he seems probably he seems like the best control wrestler that Jun Young Park has ever fought since Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, and yep. And Anthony Hernandez beat him. Relentless positional grappling is yeah. uh is a tough fight for almost anyone who isn't also that kind of fighter. Yeah. Or just has a rock solid takedown defense. Yep. All right. That's this is where the card gets a little iffy. Let me see if they've updated anything yet because the Harris Parisian bout is off 
as I noted. So let's just assume that the Jack Della Maddalena fight is getting bumped into that position because it'd be silly not to. And uh, just talk about that instead. All right. Well, or, I mean, we can just skip to Norma Dumont, Chelsea Chandler. Yeah, that's next for me on Tapology, but I will leave it up to you. All right. Well, that, that's because Tapology has has uh, done the has has canceled the Harris Parisian bout, and so yeah, that everything because it's up to date. Yeah. Even the UFC, even ESPN, is not yet that up to date on this. Um, eh, all right, we'll just skip on down to Dumont Chandler instead, I guess. All right. I mean, you said the same thing when I said Jack to the Madalena. No, I said I'd leave it up to you. What do you want me to be excited about these fights? <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I suggested one of the fights on this card, and you were nonplussed. And then I suggested a different fight in this card, and you were nonplussed. There's nothing wrong with me, Zane. Yeah, I'm okay. Not, I'm I mean, not the problem here. You, for once. Okay, for once. Fair it's, enough. It's the card. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't care. Uh, I will happily talk about Jack Della Maddalena now, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, Jack Della Maddalena is certainly one. Of, he's the only interesting fighter on the whole card. Let, let's just assume that uh, he's getting the. Well, no, 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 because we did the prelims thing. At least it has Jack. I told our producer. Okay, never mind. We're just going to talk about Dumont Chandler. <laughs> okay, great. Go for um, it. Well, this is uh, this is a fight. I mean, this is obviously one I'm more enthused to talk about. Yeah. Um. I'll say this. I think there's a chance Chelsea Chandler can get the most fun version of Norma Dumont. Oh, yeah. Because she's aggressive. Mm-hmm. She's a bully. And the only time Norma Dumont is fun to watch is when she's counterpunching. Mm-hmm. And usually her fights are absolutely dreadful because nobody knows how to close the distance or has any interest in closing the distance. Uh, and she has no ability to draw them in or to work them at range to give them an incentive to get inside. Mm-hmm. And so her fight's dreadfully slow-paced, and then she clenches. Um, because I guess perhaps the reason she's not trying to draw more counters at people is that she is actually kind of uncomfortable um, spending too much time at range, like many MMA fighters, but... Her clinch is particularly uninteresting because it's not very um, directed. It doesn't go anywhere. It's not yeah. a bridge to get to a new position. It literally just feels like she wants to hold people against the fence for as long as she can. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chelsea Chandler is big and strong, and she likes to come forward, and she's the kind of fighter who... Uh, rather than having developed much defense, she has developed the instinct to fire back when the person she's pressuring throws at her. Almost yep. without fail. She will, you try to hit her, she will try to hit you at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think we may actually get some fun exchanges here. Might, yeah. be a, might be a chance for Norma Dumont to show off her power. Might also mean Norma Dumont gets hit clean because... Um, I don't think she's used to people who throw, not that Chandler's a great combination puncher, but she often throws two punches uh-huh. when, when she's same time countering people. She, she's got, she's got one of those, those striking games where 
She understands that she knows she she knows she needs to throw her lead hand first. She doesn't just doesn't know what that's actually supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she has this sort of swatting hook that she'll throw and hook, then throw jab hybrid thing. Yeah, yeah. And then she'll throw a a, a another power punch behind it because it's like, oh, I got to throw the left hand first, or I think she's actually southpaw, so I got to yeah. throw the right hand first, but. It's just always this weird sort of slap hook to set up the actual power punch she wants behind it instead of a jab or, you know, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But because she's so insistent on coming forward, this is definitely going to lead her into the clinch as well. Yeah. So my hope is we get some fun exchanges uh, and not too much clinching, because it is an almost guaranteed certainty that she is going to blunder into the clinch and that Dumont is going to go underhook and turn her around and push her into the fence for as long as she can. Um, I'll I'll take Dumont. I'm going to I'm going to pick Chandler. Yeah, because I like how aggressive her ground game is, and I think she might sacrifice her herself to get there. You know, she might that, end, end up that is pulling, her style. pulling guard or rolling for a leg or something like that. And I think that she can actually probably make Dumont uh, get pretty lost in the ground game. Sure. Event over time. So that will be fun. Yeah. I'll, I'll take Chandler to just be able to like be aggressive going forward and get enough time on the ground to make things happen to either hit a submission or to just win the fight for being more being more purposefully aggressive. Sure. She's certainly a more fun style. I want to like Norma Dumont. Yeah. Every four minutes, she does something cool that I'm like, Ooh, but yeah, it is a very one-dimensional style. Yeah. Is this a uh, this is a bantamweight or a featherweight fight? Because God oh, knows yeah. be doing that. What the hell? <laughs> I thought they already said they were going to close the division. Every yeah, all the women who have come out and talked about being in the uh, around the featherweight division have said like the UFC keeps telling us that they're not doing this anymore. Okay. <sighs> yeah. It just right. adds another layer of meaning to this already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dumont is the favorite. Open at minus 125. It's currently at minus 133. Chandler opened at minus 102. Is currently at plus 120. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Atman Azaitar, Francisco Prado. And um, is it going to be the guy that overthrows everything or the guy that short arms everything? <laughs> That's the question. I'll take overthrows personally, but yeah. Because like Atman Zaitar, he has power and oh, yeah. he is l really, really willing to lean into it at all times. That's you know? kind of all he's got. Yeah. Everything else falls apart for him. He gets out of position enough that, you know, Matt Frivola was just able to plunk him. And 
it also seems he's gotten a lot of good finishes over uh, mediocre opposition. But it really feels like the wheels start to fall off of him after yeah. the first round. He rarely is out of the first round ever. That's but, exactly why they fall off. Yeah, yes. when he's ever had to be out of the first round, it just seems like it's like, okay, this is... Like now you're winning because you actually could just hold that, hold somebody down and get a breather for a minute or two. Yeah. And that's what's winning you the fight is that the person you're fighting is just terrible at grappling and you've got enough uh, money and training to be okay at it. Um, so, but, and Prado on the flip side... Like, he's never been knocked out. He's literally all chin. He's, you know, <laughs> Drew Dober took a trip to Argentina uh-huh. 25 year, or 20 years ago and uh, <laughs> fathered an illegitimate child. Drew Dober had a former career as a Brazilian milkman. Yeah. Because... <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's got a great he, he's got a good chin and he's otherwise trained with people that or he's fought people that just aren't that they can't really compete with him physically. Yeah. So when he fought Jamie Malarkey, you basically you saw a guy who was getting stung by stuff all the time and then just didn't have an answer to how do I deal with this? How do I come back against somebody who can take my the rare shots I land without going away and can otherwise just dink and dunk me for the rest of the fight because mm-hmm. he really does underthrow everything. It's one of those things where he's like stepping in from range and throwing these really tight hooks and it's like, okay, but you missed by four inches and you're doing yeah. that every single time. Ah. <sighs> Like if if a Zaytar can't knock him out, Prado might just be might just be the better conditioned fighter to win this. Probably, yeah. Um, I, you know what? I'll take the flyer on Francisco Prado. Just, I don't think anyone's a flyer in a fight like this. No, yeah. Because I think I think a Zaytar will self destruct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where Prado, I think, will just not do enough <laughs> or not. Yeah. So I'll I'll just lean on a Zaytar self-destructing and I'll lean on uh, Prado's chin being as strong as it looks. Yeah. Well, I also think there's a there's a strong chance that Prado just instantly takes a Zaytar out of the fight he wants to have. I mean, yeah, um, a Zaytar is not uh, at all immune to flinging into a wrestling exchange he wasn't trying to have. Sure. Be- because he overthrows everything, as you said. He just lunges in with massive power shots. And, uh, yeah, you can watch some Prado fights where people do that, and even he even gets hit, but it gets him into wrestling range. And then he just starts trying to overpower people and drag them to the ground. It's exactly how his fight with uh, Adrian Peroni played out. Mm-hmm. Guy came lunging at him, literally like headbutted the fence, and Prado like spun around, tried to strike him, underthrew his shot, and actually got hit despite the fact the other guy was the one who was cornered. 
but then was in on a double leg and boom, he's on the ground. Um, and if he can just continually create wrestling and grappling exchanges, that's not going to do any favors for his ITAR's gas tank. Yeah. So I'll take him as well. I think it's a perfectly reasonable pick because his ITAR, uh, he's a more fun fighter than Norma Dumont, but he is no less one dimensional. No. Yeah. Really just club. It's like club and sub, but it's just club and club. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing better. Yeah, no. <laughs> the man just brawls. That's all there is to it. That's right. Zaitar opened at plus 110 and just had a massive odd shift in the past uh, day or couple hours. It, okay, it doesn't, it's not actually massive, It's but it, he just dropped from plus 110 to minus 102, and it's like a straight drop. Like somebody just put like five grand on him. Hmm. Which, uh, considering I believe he and his brother have like cl- close ties to the to the Moroccan government and oh yeah, uh, the king of Morocco, I would not be surprised if there is some large money being wagered around them. Wasn't Azaitar involved in some kind of like smuggling or something? Yeah, he, they claimed it was like potatoes or something. But yeah, they were when they were in Abu Dhabi and everything was locked down for COVID. Oh right, they smuggled a duffel bag in and got cut from the UFC until like the king of Morocco called up and was like, "Hey, no, 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 you can't cut them." And then the UFC was like, "Oh no, I guess they're back." Huh? Yeah, it's not as cool as that thing that. Uh... Was it Mehdi Hassan, who was like a purse thief? Oh. Do you remember that? Somebody who was previously the, in the UFC who stole like luxury handbags. The they did Swedish, like bur- yeah, the yeah. Swedish guy who they stole did like luxury bur- goods. Burglaries. Yeah. Uh, Reza Madadi. Reza Madadi, yep. And was like, got busted for, for a burglary... Like while he was in the UFC, I think. Yeah, like, that's a way cooler crime. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. I got to check when he was. Uh... Oh yeah. He, so he was he was arrested for burglary in 2013, and he was in the UFC from 2012 nice. to 2012 to 2017. Hey, you know so, what? That's a less depressing side hustle than uh, than Alessandra Pantoja's. The dude literally spent 18 months in prison. Yeah. And then came right back to the octagon. Yep. Like, he, there's just a gap in his UFC career. April 6, 2013, beat Michael Johnson. October 24th, 2015, lost to Norman Park. That's awesome. <laughs> that, is, that is a really cool side hustle for a fighter to be involved in. I don't even feel bad for anybody stealing luxury handbags. Yeah. Victimless crime. Right. Oh, boy. Anyway, even the crimes have gotten duller in yeah. the modern UFC. Now we're smuggling potatoes into Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, all right. That brings us to a another lightweight fight. Terrence McKinney, Nazim Sadikov, and... Um, I saw a 
uh, a little like a quote screen grab type of thing. You know how mm-hmm. people use images on social media with text on top of them. Uh, from Terrence McKinney, who obviously, if he has nothing else, has a meaningful social media presence. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Nazim Sadikov, you aren't who you think you are. And I was like, I'm not sure he is who I think he is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know who this guy is. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, man, it just shows the difficulty. You have like a genuinely, you know, pretty magnetic, charismatic, loud guy like Terrence McKinney. He's putting his work name out there and you just give him like bullshit fights. Yeah. And it's like, how you how's he supposed to sell this? Yeah. Like he's gonna hype up a non-existent feud with Nazim Sadikov. Mm-hmm. Now, all that being said, this may be the first fight on the card so far that I. Well, yeah, Zaitar Prado will be stupid, but this yeah. will be fun. This will be a fun yeah. fight. Um, no, it it's not a particularly meaningful matchup, but McKinney is caught between nonstop violence and trying to be good. Yeah, he's, At the he, moment. he's in a place that is going to make it hard to really depend on him winning most fights right now. Yeah, and he might come out the other side a better fighter. He might just sure. flame out uh, yeah. because he's realized that uh, somehow it wasn't clear to him already that you can't become a champion by knocking everybody out instantly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, Kudos to him. He took a lesson from from hard losses and is trying to even out his game. It's just and and, f- and from that perspective, this is probably a better matchmaking than continuing to give him big, meaningful matchups because the the yeah. guy needs time to develop. That being said, I don't think Sadikov is an easy matchup. Um, no, Sadikov's pretty solid striker. He is. He's uh, aggressive without being wild. He he has a a pretty like well developed complement of striking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he to to the point that he can he can fight reasonably well off the back foot, which is not something you usually expect out of a guy with only nine fights. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he would crumble under sustained pressure like everybody else in this sport, but he can draw people onto counter shots. He can push forward, and he's got nice shot selection. Mm-hmm. Um, he works the body. He really varies up the angles that his punches are coming from. He has a reasonable kicking game. And all of this, he's aggressive, but he's reasonably patient. Um, and, and is happy with the kind of feeling you get from just sort of boxing somebody in and making them have to make a mistake. Um, so I, I think this will be a pretty tough fight for McKinney, especially if he is um, still sort of boxing himself in yeah uh as he kind of was in his last fight now granted like bonfim is a a really powerful striker a more experienced fighter by far than sadikov and still got hit with some big shots Mm -hmm. and uh and got into some really really close scrapes but i i don't look at sadikov and think he's gonna back down from that there's a question of whether he might get knocked out yeah, that that's my worry is that I'm I'm just not sure that Sadikov is necessarily I mean McKinney is not you know the, he's trying to become a cleaner fighter after years of being just totally 
wild and depending on his speed and power to see him through whatever mess he creates. Yes. Um, But that speed and power is prodigious. Absolutely. And I do worry with Sadikov, who he has a pretty tight, controlled game, but it's also it is kind of a game like because he's not that experienced yet. I think he can get he can get shook up more than he realizes. Yes. Still, yeah, you know, he's stepping in and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got this. I've got a cool combo. I see this opening here. I'm going to step in and pop you. And it's just like, you know, even against Evan Elder, he got dropped. Yeah. Hard I didn't like the way he reacted to the cut he got against Evan Elder yeah. either. He was kind of visibly freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Where it's just like he hasn't been in these situations where people can really fight back against him. And so there's a little bit of overconfidence or, you know, a, Confidence that would serve him well as he keeps going and getting more experience. But at the moment, it's sort of like you don't know how much danger you are in right now. There's, because, a, there's a brittleness to that. Yeah. Confidence. You, you don't know. You don't know the depths that you're getting into because you just you haven't fought that much. Yet. Yeah. That's the thing as Evan Elder is he he was really dominating the fight. Yeah. And then he got into a little trouble and he started kind of trying to force it. I mean, credit to him. Like, I think he really dealt with it pretty well, given that it was probably one of his first, uh, one of his first performances with that kind of a swing. Yeah. From him doing really well to suddenly things got difficult. I think he's, I think he's going to be an uncomfortable test for McKinney as well. But yeah, the, the concern is just McKinney randomly donking him with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he did to Ismail Bonfim and, and Sadikov not being able to take it. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take Sadikov anyway. I mean, none of these picks matter. Who gives no. a shit? I'm going to take Sadikov anyway because I I do think McKinney has looked really very confused. And, um, you know, he because he's a good athlete, he might make that turnaround at any moment where everything kind of clicks but as of yet, I don't know really what game he is actually developing. Yeah, I don't. And yeah. and I, I think, you know, Sadikov has now had an experience like that against Evan Elder and came out on top. And he may have had some moments of discomfort, but he held it together and finished Elder late in the fight. Um, so I, I'm going to take Sadikov. I think he can pass that test as long as McKinney is still sort of confused and hesitant. Yeah, I'm going to take McKinney. I just, I worry that Sadikov's game, he's going to walk himself into too much trouble against somebody, sure. McKinney, who's just capable of absolutely shocking people. You know? Yeah, yeah. He's a dude that if you, if you aren't really quite ready for somebody really fast and violent, and if your game is, you know, in the way Sadikov's is, is built on, like, pushing people around and being being able to step into the pocket and... Yeah, know that you're going to land the better, the bigger, better, better chosen shot. Then I think there's a high chance that McKinney really surprises. So, yeah, I just can't help but be aware of the irony that like this is all this is a a common uh, like dichotomy with fighters in McKinney's position that he gets a matchup where probably if he was the worst version of McKinney, he probably would blow Sadikov out of the water. Yeah, he probably did what he did to Drew Dober. I think that might work just because Sadikov is inexperienced. Yeah, 
but uh, he can't keep doing that forever. So that that you get matchups like this. Mm-hmm. Where... So very 50-50. It's, you got somebody who's much more comfortable in a technical game. Yep. But hasn't been tested as much. And then you've got the the wild man on the other side who is yep. very uncomfortable in a very untechnical game, but is also used to fighting through a lot of wild shit just yep. to yep. scrape something out. So yeah, uh, it's a good fight and it's well booked and I'm interested in it, even though Sadikov, you know, he's not a any kind of name yet and this could be a setback for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, Terrence McKinney is the underdog here. Opened wow. at plus one twenty six. Is currently plus one seventeen. So that uh, the, the odds are real close. And uh, Sadikov opened at minus one sixty one. Is currently at minus one twenty nine. So. Wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah. All right. That wraps things up for the main card. We're gonna we're gonna save the the Jack Della Maddalena breakdown for the prelims because that's where he's currently slotted in. We gotta uh, have something on the prelims. Exactly. We got a prelims show. We gotta have something to still talk about. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.